Well, this morning we're starting a new sermon series called Guardrails. Uh, we're looking at nine biblical core values. We won't be looking at all of them this morning, obviously. We do this from time to time to look at not only core values for our life, but we're getting these from the core values of Orchard Community Church. And they serve as guardrails in our life, keeping us on track, keeping us focused, headed in the right direction. And I was thinking about an opening illustration and was working on it, came up with something really clever, and then I pulled up the last two times that we've done this series. The first was in 2012, can you believe it? And uh, we did two sermons on the, the nine core values then, and then we did that again in 2016. Exact same sermon illustration, exact same opening illustration. I thought, man, uh, great minds think alike, I guess, but uh, either that or I just have no more creativity than that. But we're going to use it because it works well. So imagine you're, I think it does, you might disagree. Imagine you're driving late at night and, and all of a sudden you hear a, a low rumbling noise, just a slight rum, 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 rum. And it just keeps going. Now, immediately, if, if you've driven on the highway, especially at night, maybe you've gotten a little sleepy, and you know what that noise is, and you know what you should do about it. You, you reach over, and you turn on the radio and crank it up louder. That's <laughs> the solution to that annoying, low, rumbling sort of noise. So, so now the radio's blaring, and you know, the, if you go the right speed, the rumble will go in time with the music, which is pretty cool. But after a little while, you, you start seeing out the passenger window some sparks flying up, and you hear this high squealing, screeching noise. You think, well, that's annoying as you wave goodbye to your side view mirror. You think, oh, I, I don't want to see this, so of course you do what every good driver does. You put on your sunglasses so you don't have to see those sparks flying off the side of your car. And then, of course, you feel like as you're trying to drive, your, your car seems to be pushing you in one direction, and you don't want to go in that direction. You think, I'm free to do what I want. I want to drive the way I want to drive. Why am I being pushed to the left this way? And so, of course, you take your steering wheel and you crank it to the right. And as you fly over the edge of a cliff, you beginning. You begin to question your life choices. The rumble, of course, is the rumble strips along the side of the road. It's, it's that, that pavement's way of saying, hey, wake up. You're, you're beginning to go in the wrong direction. You need to pay more attention. Now, hopefully, if you're driving a car, you would not, in that moment, turn up your radio. You wouldn't think, I just don't want to deal with this. But think about it. How often in life do we hear the low rumble? Maybe a friend coming alongside us and say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Maybe a sermon in church. Maybe a, a Bible study that we get together. Maybe it's just the conscience that God has given us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Hey, what are you doing? It's just this low rumble, rumble, rumble. And so often in our lives, we do turn up the radio. We, we turn up the noise. I don't want to hear it. I want to do what I want to do. And then the sparks begin to fly. And we start realizing... my. My choices are causing conflict. There's a rub between what I want to do and what I know God wants for me. 
But I want to go my own way. And we feel pushed by God. God wants us to do something. He wants us to go in a direction, not go another way. And we say, no, I want to do what I want to do. And we take that wheel and we crank it to the side. And you know, maybe today, you feel like you're going over the cliff a little bit. Maybe today you feel like you're going over the cliff a lot. Maybe you feel like you went over the cliff a while ago and you're now at the bottom of the ravine thinking, what in the world am I doing here? And so over the next four weeks, I want to look at these nine biblical core values to not only give you these warning signs in your life, hey, don't go this way, but they're also the same hope that draws you back to Jesus Christ who plucks us out of our desperate situations and saves us. So we're going to look at the nine core values of our church. Here they are, passionately God-centered, dependent on God, rooted in the Word of God. Those are the three we're going to look at today. And then in the coming weeks, we'll look at grace-driven transformation, becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, committed to one another, actively serving, intentional outreach, and authentic and passionate worship. And so this morning, we're going to look at just the first three in a sermon I'm calling Focus. Where is our focus? What is it that we are looking for, focused on, driving toward? What captures our focus? What is our priority? What is center for us? And so the first core value that we're going to look at is this idea of being passionately God-centered. What does it mean to be passionately God-centered? Well, in our core values, we define it as this. We are passionate about putting God at the center of everything we do as a church and as individuals. We strive to draw attention. I love this phrase. Draw attention to the greatness of God and to glorify Him in what we do, say, think, and plan. We will be bold in declaring our love for God, giving thanks for his many blessings, and making known and remembering what he has done. What does it mean to be passionately God-centered? What does that look like in our lives? Psalm 115.1 puts it like this, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And I love that that first part is, is there and put there twice. Not to us. So often we, oh God, it's all about you and a lot about me too. And yet the psalmist says, no, it can't be about me. The glory is not mine. It is not about me. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name. There's this purposeful shift away from focusing on ourselves toward focusing on God. And what does it mean? But to your name be the glory. What is, it, what is glory? What does it mean to proclaim or, or worship or demonstrate glory? Glory, ultimately, is the display of someone's ability. The artist's glory is seen in their artwork. The sculptor's glory is seen in their sculpture. The musician's glory is heard in their music. God's glory is seen in everything God does. It's seen in us in creation. It's seen in the display of His splendor. And it is magnified and focused like a laser beam on the cross of Jesus Christ. The display of God's glory. 
And when we accept Christ as our Savior, we become a living, walking, breathing display of the glory. And when we get together as a church, we are displaying God's glory. To give glory to God is to give Him credit. To say it's His glory, not ours. It's about Him. It's His work on display, not ours. To delight in Him. To worship Him. Could you imagine walking into an art show? A a, a gallery of, of Monet paintings. Beautiful paintings all over. Could you imagine walking in? Imagine I walk in and I say to people around me, Look at what I've done. I'm pretty amazing. Look at all my paintings. Of course, people would look at me and say, that's ridiculous. You're not Monet. I mean, I could pick up a paintbrush and show you pretty quick. I am not Monet. I can barely do stick figures. I would be stealing the glory that rightfully belongs to Monet. It's his work. Even if I was the one that put the show together, even if I paid for the paintings, collected them, set them up in the gallery, set all the lighting, still I would have to say, look at what Monet has done. He would get the glory. We don't want to steal the glory of God. When people look at us, they are not to be amazed at us. They are to be amazed at God and his work. God gets the glory because, he says right here, because of your love and faithfulness, God has a proven track record of being amazing. Your love and your faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it this way, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do as a human being, your work, your hobbies, your family life, your professional life, your public life, everything we do is to be done for the glory of God so that he gets all the praise and all the glory. Now, this is difficult. It's difficult, and it was when Paul wrote this because they were struggling with some decisions. Should I do this? Should I eat this? Should I not eat this? And he says, look, here's where to put your focus. Do these things for the glory of God. If I'm in an art gallery filled with Monet paintings, what I should be doing is showing others how amazing Monet was. Look at how he used his brush. Look at how he used colors. Look at how he he demonstrated how light uh, impacted things at different times of the day. Look at how brilliant it was. I could describe to them how he set up a garden in his own home just so he could paint it. How he put on rose-colored glasses so he could see colors in specific spectrum better so he could paint it. And help them to understand how amazing Monet was. We are to do that with God. In each and every area of our life to display God's glory. To point to the greatness of God. We must be passionately God-centered. In everything that we do. The Bible is a book about God. From beginning to end is the story of what God has done to save us when we walked away from Him. To build that relationship, to demonstrate who He is, His character, His nature, His glory, His holiness. And to draw us into relationship with Himself. Christ came to save us for God's glory. Is it good for us? Absolutely. But it's all about God's glory. Titus 3.5 says he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
We don't say, man, I, I got saved. Look at me. I'm amazing. I got saved. We say, I didn't deserve it at all. Isn't God amazing? And I believe all of eternity will be spent experiencing, demonstrating, and declaring the glory of God. Not sitting around with little harps, strumming, and little fluffy angel wings. That's not the picture of heaven I get in Scripture. I get the picture of us doing what we were meant to do. The artist painting, the sculptor sculpting, the builder building, the computer programmer programming. Everybody doing what God hardwired them to do for eternity and for the glory of God. And the next day we get to try something new. And the next day something else. All as a display of the glory of God. So how can we be passionately God-centered? We need to evaluate. We need to evaluate our thoughts and our actions and our desires. Are our thoughts, actions, and desires God-centered, God-focused? Or are they me-centered, me-focused? Do we do what we do to bring glory to God? And then we need to renovate. It's a big word in our church right now. See an area that, that needs to be changed to better fit the purpose? Well, you go through renovation. We need to be in ongoing renovation in our lives, in our hearts. And the first change, the first renovation is we need to be saved. We've got to bow before the, the throne of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save us and say, it's not about me, it's about you. I've been living for me this whole time. I realize you are Lord God and King. And I accept what you did on the cross in my place. We need to be saved. You cannot be God-centered in your life without accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't. All the good intentions, all the good actions, all the good motivations in the world will never surpass the centrality of the truth that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins. And then, as we are Saved, we need to allow God to change our actions, our thoughts, and our desires. And he does that as we walk in relationship with him, as these guardrails come into our lives. The great lie of sin is that putting ourselves first will make us happy and free. I want to do what I want. And if I get to do what I want, I will feel better about myself. Guess what? It's never worked, ever. Didn't work for Adam and Eve. Got exactly what they wanted. Went their own way and did what they wanted and misery followed. And it has been that way ever since. We think that getting outside the guardrail will make us more free and happy when it only leads to misery. But the truth is when God is at the center, when he is our focus, when we are passionately God-centered, that's where we find our greatest joy. Well, how do we live then? Which leads us to the biblical core value number two. Are we dependent on God? We state it this way in our core values. We are committed to daily intimate fellowship with God. Through steadfast prayer, we glorify God by honoring his name, seeking his kingdom, and submitting to his will. It is our individual and corporate responsibility to ensure that all aspects of life, ministry, and fellowship are preceded, undergirded, and empowered by prayer. We believe that nothing of lasting value, eternal value will happen apart from dependent and faith-driven prayer. 
This is the ongoing expression of core value number one, being God-centered. We then have to live this out in our lives. We have to be dependent on Him for everything. If we say, well, I'm, I'm all about God, I'm all about a relationship with God, I'm really, really religious, and then we go about our day as if He doesn't exist, are we really God-centered? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There are times in scripture that I feel like the biblical authors are struggling for words to capture the greatness of what they're trying to say. And this is one of them. Look at that phrase. Him who is able to do immeasurably more. So here's what I think he can do, but he can do more, and I can't even measure that distance because it's so much more. And then he says, then all we ask or imagine. Well, I can ask some pretty great things. I can probably imagine some greater things, and yet God can do more according to his power that is at work within us. Man, that's a God you can depend on. I think, friends, as our world changes, as struggles go on, as they always do, we allow our picture of God to get so small. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Why do we depend upon ourselves? Why do we think that we are in control why, when crisis comes, do we, we think to ourselves, whether consciously or unconsciously, I've got this. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I don't need anybody's help. Why is it when things are, are kind of going in day-to-day life, we, we leave God out of it, but the moment we're, we sense that we're completely out of control, then we want to turn to God and say, why did God allow this to happen? And God's going, I've been at work all along. All along. We need to be dependent on God. If we are focused on ourselves, then it is our responsibility to find meaning, purpose, joy, happiness in our life. All of that burden is on us. And one of the things I have learned by looking at contemporary culture is that the burden of seeking joy, purpose, meaning, and happiness is a crushing burden that we are unable to and we're never meant to bear. It's too much. It breaks us. Because the moment we're unhappy, that philosophy should say, well, it's my fault. But it never does. It always says it's somebody else's fault. And we live our lives stuck in this constant loop of finding joy and happiness that will never come. And we're constantly mad at the people around us because it's always their fault. If we're focused on God, and we seek his power, his glory that is at work through Jesus Christ. This leads to salvation, wisdom, humility, love for others, a true sense of purpose. We are created to worship God. It brings meaning to our life. It brings understanding. Those times when we say, I feel broken. Depending on God says, that's because you are. And Jesus loves you anyway. That is the most freeing truth in the world. To be able to say, I am broken, but Jesus loves me and died for me anyway. 
How do we live in dependence on God? We seek his will, his work done his way, but how? Well, in scripture, we'll look at that in a moment, but in the core value, it talked about prayer, ongoing prayer. Prayer is the ongoing expression and reminder of our dependence on God. If we are not in prayer, we are not truly depending on God. We need prayer in those moments to pause and to say, I am depending on God, therefore I will pray to Him. It helps focus our thoughts on Him. It's the expression of reaching out to God and saying, God, I'm depending on you to answer how you see fit. Not how I'm telling you to answer, but how you see fit. I will depend on you. If we are going to be God-centered, then we must depend on God in all areas of our lives. We can't just leave him to the sideline. And then if we're going to depend on God and, and be God-centered, then we must be rooted in the word of God. We state it this way, we are committed to God's word as our exclusive foundation. The Bible is our reference point for truth. All teaching, practice, and life transformation is shaped by God's truth as revealed in the scriptures. We will devote ourselves to preaching, teaching, and applying God's word. I believe so many people want core value number one. I'm all about God. You hear people talk about, I'm very religious. really deeply spiritual. I'm very focused on God, whoever he or it or whatever it might be. I'm very spiritual. Less people then want to be dependent on God. I kind of like God because those things make me happy, but I still want to do my own stuff. I'm not really dependent on him. And when you get to this one, the wheels just fall off, especially in our culture today. We don't want to be rooted in the word of God. We want God on our terms. We want God as this great, lovely, wonderful thing, but defined by us in the way that makes us comfortable. To say that we love God and yet not be rooted in his word would be like like if my wife was an artist and talked about how you know, all year long, she loved to paint, she loved to draw, and she talked about she really needs the tools to do her, her artistry well. She needs the, the right pencils, she needs the right uh, paper, easel, painting, paints, whatever it is. And all year long, I'm listening to her talk about this. And then come Christmas time, I hear, I need tools. Well, I can get tools. I go out and I get a nice table saw and drill press and a little Dremel doohickey. I get tools. I heard she wanted tools. What did I just do? I listened to snippets of what she wanted. I, I picked out of, of the ongoing conversation that she was giving about who she is and what she values and what she wants. I chose specific things that resonated with me that I liked and let's be honest, I wanted anyway. And that's what I got for her. Now you laugh. Friends, Christians do this all the time. We pick and choose out of God's word what we want to hear and what we don't want to hear. If we're truly focused and dependent on God, we must hear what God says about himself. Not just what we want to hear about him. 
if we instead listen to what we want to hear, what we're actually going to be focused on and dependent on is a made-up version of God, something we have created. And that's terrifying. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, there we go, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's all from God. He gave us his word through various means, various people over a long time. And it is a beautiful word from him saying, this is who I am. This is my character and my nature. This is how much I love you and I want a relationship with you. And this is what that relationship looks like. We don't get to change that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We don't like that. It's, it's, there's an uncomfortability to being rooted in the word of God. It confronts things within us. And it's so tempting in those moments of, of reading something and saying, oh, I've got this in my life. And, oh, he says, don't do that. Well, I'll just put that aside for now. Look, we don't have to be biblical scholars. Okay, nobody's expecting you to be a seminary professor. But we need to be in Scripture. We need to take it and read it. It's why as a church, when we get together for sermons, we dig into the Word of God. When we get together on Wednesday nights, we dig into the Word of God. And we have small groups, we dig into the Word of God. And I pray and I hope that that goes beyond our children's ministries, our seniors' ministry, our youth ministry, our Sunday worship. I pray that it overflows into your day-to-day lives. I'm not in your home every single day saying, hey, let's open up the Word of God together. Praise God, that's not what's going on, okay? You wouldn't want that. But you're there, and I'm pretty sure you've got a Bible. And if you don't, take the one in the pew in front of you right now. Take it home and read it. Open up. Read through the Gospel of John that we just finished in a sermon series. Read about the love that Jesus has for you. There are difficult parts of God's Word that are inconvenient, that are out of sync with modern cultural ideas. They are there, absolutely. We don't get to choose what we accept and don't accept. The Bible is not a loose-leaf notebook to take out the parts we don't like. There's a prominent preacher, just recently came out with a book called Irresistible. You may know him, his name's Andy Stanley. And in that book, he said that churches need to do away with the Old Testament. It's tragic. He says parts of the Old Testament are inconvenient and offensive. Absolutely. Parts of the New Testament are inconvenient and offensive. But think about it. If that's our standard, well, this is inconvenient and I find it offensive, then who is really God in our minds? Me. If I get to decide what belongs in God's word, I just put myself in the place of God. I walked up to the throne, kicked him off, and I sat down. And I said, this is good, and let me tell you what I believe. That's not the way this works. 
And if that's our standard, quite frankly, we are steps away, moments away from jettisoning the entirety of the word of God. And I pray I'm wrong, but I fear that's where Stanley's headed. And I know some of you probably listen to him on the radio, maybe, and I have. I've, I've read his books. He has some wonderful books. His dad was a great preacher. He's headed down a path, and I just feel it's important in this context to warn you, this is where he's going. We don't get to pick and choose. God's word is a grand epic account of God's dealing with gracious, or I'm sorry, with sinful people. And yes, when a loving, righteous, holy God interacts with sinful people, rebellious people, there are going to be moments of profound feelings of being uncomfortable. Absolutely. He puts boundaries in place to limit sin that we don't want. He calls sin what it is. Sin, wrong, and points out where we're wrong. We don't like to hear that. Scripture tells, does, in fact, tell us about consequences of sin, that all sin leads to death. We don't like that. But without these inconvenient and uncomfortable truths, we cannot understand the central truth of all of Scripture, which is God sent His Son to die for us. If we get rid of the uncomfortable truth, we are also getting rid of the most beautiful lovely, hopeful truth there is. You can't have one without the other. So I ask you, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you gathering with others who spend time in God's Word? And the answer this morning is yes. (laughs) You're here. That's awesome. The church is there to be a rumble strip in your life, to, to pull you back, to say, stay on track. Let's look at the beautiful Word of God together. But what about in your own life? What about in your families? It doesn't take hours and hours and hours. Just open it up. Read. Read through the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Gospel of John. Just pick it up and say, God, I want to hear from you because I'm hearing from the world all the time and from my own head way too often. I want to hear from you. Are you hearing some rumble strips in your life this morning? Maybe there's one of these three that are really sticking out to you. Maybe God is saying, come back. Maybe some sparks are flying in your life. You say, I'm going the wrong way. I'm cranking that steering wheel as hard as I can. Listen to the word of God this morning to say, come back. Have you driven right through those guardrails? Have you fallen off that cliff and you think I'm done? There is hope. The gospel is the good news that no matter how far off the road you have driven, no matter how deep down in the ravine you are buried, no matter how much you feel like you're drowning underwater in this moment, Jesus Christ can save you. He can pluck you out out of that situation, put you back on the path that he created you for and say, I've got you. Let's follow together. In the gospel, Jesus catches us as the car plummets off the edge. He plucks us out of the car in the ravine. These guardrails bring hope and joy. There's a comfort there to having God's boundaries in our lives. 
Are they hard? Absolutely. Do we scrape up against them at times and wish they weren't there? Certainly. Absolutely. But they keep us following God's plan for our lives. Where's the focus in your life? Are you passionately God-centered? Are you dependent on God? Are you rooted in the Word of God? Would you say those three things are true for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. And these guardrails come right out of your word. I thank you that that almost eight years ago now, I received a document with these core values. And I poured over that and I said, yes, that's the church I want to be a part of. If they really mean that, then I want to be there. To be able to come and be the pastor here. With people that really do mean these things. And we all need these reminders in our lives. We need the rumble strips gently reminding us, come back, stay on track. We need the guardrail to force us, nudge us, push us when we don't want to go in that direction. And we desperately need the gospel for the times that we completely steer our own way. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never received Jesus as their Savior, May today be the day. And for those, and I'm sure there's many of us, scraping up against the guardrails, trying to bust through, may we turn to you and say, I will focus on you. I will be dependent on you. I will be rooted in your word. Come what may, no matter how uncomfortable it may be at times. Because you are God and we are not. And forgive us when we forget that so often. Thank you for the cross that saves, redirects, gives new birth and hope. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.